Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? Can we give it up for our media team? Is that video awesome or what? I'm constantly impressed by our team and, and the cool things that they do. But everything you just saw, we created, and, and our people are on the ones on the screens and just excited about what God is doing among all of our people and, and particularly young, young generation folks. Just so thrilled about what God is doing. We're in a series we're simply calling third person. We're talking about that third member of the Godhead, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, and acknowledging that quite often the Holy Spirit has been either really misunderstood or frankly ignored, neglected. And so we're trying to find out what the Bible actually says about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We started our conversation uh, three weeks ago by talking about this idea that how far you can throw a football uh, has a lot to do with what's inside. In fact, it depends on what's inside. And we also came to the conclusion that that's not just true about footballs, that's true about life. How long we can keep a commitment really depends on what we got going on inside. How, how well we can resist temptation has to do with what's going on inside. How, how well we're integrating our, our biblical values with our lifestyle has a lot to do, has everything to do with what's going on inside. And so we've been trying to get a handle on how the Holy Spirit wants to fill us up. In fact, we've been keying off of that passage from Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 where Paul tells us you have, you've got a choice to make. And that choice is a really simple one. Uh, it just simply, he simply said, don't be drunk with wine because that'll ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so you see the choice, very clear choice. You can either be controlled by the spirits of this world. Galatians 5 lists a bunch of them, uh, anger and brawling and jealousy and rage and all that stuff. Or you can be empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. There are only two choices, and frankly, you have to make the choice because the default setting, anybody want to guess? The default setting is the spirits of this world. We are born in sin and shape and iniquity, and so the default setting is all that yucky stuff, jealousy and gossip and rage and, and anger. And so we have to choose to be empowered by, filled with the Holy Spirit in order for us to rise above that and then ultimately to accomplish everything God put us on the planet to accomplish. So with that kind of foundation in mind, what we're doing week by week through this series is we're trying to get an understanding of what the Holy Spirit uh, wants to do in our lives once we've made that choice for him to be the empowering agent of our lives. Last week, we talked about the role of the Holy Spirit and how he enhances our intimacy through worship, through song, through re reminding us or making us aware of any barriers that might between, be between us and a holy God. Today, I want to talk about how the Holy Spirit helps us to grow in our relationship with God. Peter said it, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You come to Christ, you get, establish a relationship, you get a fresh start, but we bring our hurts, habits, and hangups from before into our new relationship. Can I get an amen? And we have to break free from that stuff. We have to figure out how to rise above and develop this Christ-like character, which is ultimately God's will for all of our lives. And so today, what I want to do is I want to unpack the rest of chapter 5 and into chapter 6 of the book of Ephesians. If you've got a Bible, a smartphone uh, app, you know, the version app, you, you can go there and, and we're going to spend most of our time in Ephesians 5 and 6. You can uh, go to the Bridge NC app. All the notes are there. You can unpack them there. Save them to your own journal and take your own notes as I talk. And as always, you're welcome to, to my teaching notes 
by emailing me this week, info at bridgechurch.cc. Be glad to share them with you for your own study. Uh, as you move forward through this series, let me just say one more time, as I have said every week and probably will continue to, what some of what I'm saying during this series might be reinforcement for some of you guys. It may be brand new information for some of you guys. It may be, whoa, that's ookie-dookie spooky stuff for some of you guys. I don't know. But here's, what, here's my challenge to you and to me, and that is let's not be so spiritually timid that we resist what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit because we were taught something different previously. But let's not be so, so spiritually lazy that we just accept it because that's what Pastor Jim said. Let's find out what the book says. What does the Bible actually say? And so you may have noticed that during this series, I'm not telling as many stories and I'm not putting as much color. I'm just making, there's a lot of scripture in these things. I want to make sure we know the word of God and what uh, it says to us about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So again, today, let's unpack. These are the character traits that you can expect to develop in your life when you make the choice to be filled with the Spirit. Is that worth a few minutes of our time? Uh, please say yes, because I'm going to use it whether it's worth it or not. I hope that it is. But before we get into it, I need to make you aware of a common mistake that, that I've made that a lot of Christians make, and that is the idea that, yes, we want to be more like Christ. Yes, we want Christ-like character traits. Yes, we want to grow to maturity, but somehow we think that we have to work hard to get there. But somehow we have to make that happen. It's a huge mistake that, quite frankly, many of us have made. The classic example in Scripture is the church uh, at Galatia. The book of Galatians was written to, and it's the Apostle Paul telling them, guys, what in the world's going on here? Now, now I want to read it to you. In fact, I want us to read it together. Before we do, I want you to get in the moment. Okay, so get this picture in your mind. The Apostle Paul started the church at Galatia. He loved the members of the church of Galatia. This, this is a daddy talking to his youngins, and he's frustrated with them. How many parents in the room? You don't know exactly what I'm talking about. It's every now and then, it's, come on, youngins, what in the world's going on here? Well, that's Paul. So I want you to get in the moment. We're going to read it together, but I want you to get in the moment with me, okay? Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Here, it's on the screens. I like the way the message paraphrases it because it really gets into the spirit of it. Ready? One, two, three, go. You crazy Galatians? Have you taken leave of your senses? I can't hear you. You're not in the moment with me. Come on, work with me here. Okay, come on. Here we go. Have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy has happened for it's obvious you no longer have the crucified Jesus in clear focus in your life. How did your new life begin? Was it by working your heads off to please God? Or was it by responding to God's message to you? And of course, God's message that he's talking about is Jesus died to pay for your sins and he offered you a fresh start and you came to him and he forgave you and gave you a brand new life, a clean slate. And then he sent the Holy Spirit to be your teacher and comforter and guide to go with you. And that's the message that they embraced. And the result was they got new life. Uh, Paul started the church and, and life is good. But somewhere along the way, they got confused. Pick it up in verse 3. Are you going to continue in this craziness? For only crazy people would think that they could complete by their own efforts what was begun by God. If you weren't smart enough or strong enough to begin it, how do you suppose you could 
perfected. In other words, if you couldn't save yourself in the beginning, what makes you think you could grow into Christ-like character by working hard enough to get there? If you couldn't start it, you can't perfect it. They were trying to make it happen in their own power. And I'm here to tell you, if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, if you tune out and, and start debating in your mind whether you're going to go to Smithfield Chicken or Bojangles after church, here's what I want you to hear. You can't make yourself grow to Christ-like maturity, no matter how bad you want it. It's like a flattened football. It depends on what's inside, whether you can succeed. So now you ready for some good news? Anybody ready for some good news? Okay, let's do it then. Let's get into it. Galatians chapter 2, verse 7. Here we go. The Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Obviously, that's from the very beginning of time when he created Adam. And so he formed Adam. He's a perfectly formed human being, a wonderful specimen of a man. But there's no life there. It's just a form until God did what? Okay, can help me out. I'm not going to do all the talking today. He did what? He breathed life into them, pneuma, life, breath. He breathed into him, and, and that became a living being. Instead of just the form of a football, it actually became a football that you can grow, that you can throw, that you can kick, that you can play ball with, but it took the breath of God to bring life. Is this making sense? You still understand why this is how physical life is formed, but that's how spiritual life began too, and... It is how Christ-like character is developed in us as well. So come on, let's breathe deep all together. Come on. Hold it. Now let it out slow. Breathing in the life of God, letting out the junk that the world thrusts on us day by day. Some of you are dizzy because you haven't had that much oxygen in a long time, I know. But <laughs> you, you get the picture? If you want to grow to become like Christ, if you want Christ-like character in your life, it is not going to come because you grit your teeth and say, yeah, that's who I want to be. It comes by making the choice, I don't want to be controlled by the spirits of this world. I choose to be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. That said, let's get into it, okay? There are five things as you walk through Ephesians 5 uh, and 6. I'm not going to take much time on either one of them. I'm just going to kind of introduce them to you. We do a whole series on those one of these days. But, but I just want to kind of give you a glimpse, just enough to understand what each one is about. And then I want to come back to this idea of being filled so that we can come out of this place with an understanding of, of our call to commitment. Okay, number one out of five is a spirit-filled life is joyful. Say it with me. A spirit-filled life is Joyful, Ephesians 5, 19, we read it last week, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourself and making music to the Lord in your heart. We talked about those songs in detail last week. Not going to unpack that message. If you missed it, uh, go to the website. You can see it uh, and learn more detail. But here's what I want need you to hear, and that is that whether you can sing or not is irrelevant. We're, in fact, we're not even just talk, talking about a song. We're talking about joy that wells up inside. Jesus told the woman at the, Samar the Samaritan woman at the well, I'm going to give you streams of living water that will flow through you. He's talking about joy. He's talking about this, this something that rises up within us because the Holy Spirit has been invited into us. I got to be honest with you guys. I I've been to some church services over the years where there was so little joy in the place that by the time I left there, I wasn't inflated. I was deflated. Don't look around, but... We've all been there. We kind of go, oh boy, yeah, I went to church. 
check the box, reckon I'm going to hell, <laughs> you know, and do the best I can here. And then you get out there on Monday morning, how in the world do you expect to resist the temptations and the, and the stuff that th- was thrown at you when there was nothing in you when you came on Sunday morning to get filled with joy? Problem is, we get deflated rather than inflated, and we wind up like the lady that I saw in a cartoon uh, a clip art not too long ago. Picture it with me. You got this frazzled lady standing in the doorway, hair kind of all down on one side, got a baby on her hip who's crying, got two children, one on each leg, so I'm mommy, 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 mommy. And the dog is barking and the beans are rolling over, boiling over on the stove. You got the picture. And the census taker standing at the doorway with a clipboard with a puzzled look on his face. And he says, what, what do you mean undecided? All I asked was, do you live here? (laughs) She's not sure if she's living, if this is living. Understand now, I'm not talking about a superficial thing called happiness. Happiness is overrated. Happiness is is happenstance. It has to do with current circumstance. You want to be happy? Be happy. By, By all means, be happy. But I'm talking about something deeper than that. I'm talking about an inner stability, no matter what circumstances we face. This strength to deal with life, to rise above our current set of circumstances. And and Paul says, when you ask the Holy Spirit to fill you, that rises up inside of you. It often comes out in song, whether you can carry a tune or not is irrelevant. But more than that, it becomes the character traits of Christ being developed in you. That's what Galatians 5 ultimately says. 5, 22, and 3, but the fruit of the Spirit, stop right there, you understand what I'm saying? What, so what is, when he says the fruit of the Spirit, what's he talking about? He's talking about fruit, of course, being the product, the thing that is created because of effort that you're making, like the fruit of your labors. The fruit of the Spirit, the thing that happens because the Spirit is now in charge is, and he goes on to list them. Read it with me. Here we go. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. If you're wondering what that last sentence means, it just simply means and there ain't nothing wrong with none of them. As a matter of fact, those are the attributes of Christ. And so what happens is when you make that choice, Holy Spirit, I want you to fill me. I want you to empower me. I want you to be in charge. He starts to pump into you the attributes of Christ. He begins to fill you up with love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. You can't make any of those things happen. If willpower was enough, we'd all be skinny and rich. Come on. It's the Holy Spirit that fills us up. So what else did he say will happen when you ask the Holy Spirit to come in? The second thing he says is spirit-filled life is, is authentic. It's just real, transparent. 
There's no posturing. There's no posing. There's no pretending in this spirit-filled life. Ephesians 5, 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That word submit has carried a lot of negative connotations in recent years, but the fact of the matter is it's the Greek word hupotasso. Say it with me, hupotasso. One more time, hupotasso, which literally means to put in order. That's what it means, to set something in order. And so what he's talking about is when a group of spirit-filled believers comes together, each one has his or her role, his or her part, and then recognizing that as, as I do my part and you do your part and the Holy Spirit empowers us to accomplish what he put us on this planet to do, there is an orderliness to that that ultimately leads to life and strength and power and making a difference in the world. And yes, in that setting, there are some people who have a more authority than others because of the role that they're in, not because they've been there the longest and not because they're, they're in a family that name is, is the predominant family name in that church and not because they gave more money than anybody else in the church. They're, they have the authority that they have because of the role that they've accepted. They get authority to go with the responsibilities they've accepted. It's one of the beauties of our church. You want to be a part of the bridge? Come on. Ownership class coming up on September 20th. Get in, find out who we are, what we're all about. Get in and make the commitments. If it's been a long time since you did ownership, let me encourage you to do it. We're going to do it in person. We're going to do it on Zoom. Whatever floats your boat, we want you to be a part of that. And you're going to learn what we are. But here, guys, when a group of people come together and say, you know, some of us are eyes and some of us are ears and some of us are mouths and some of us are noses and some of us are toeses and each one of us is going to do our part and we're all putting our shoulders to the same wheel, pushing in the same direction, empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's amazing the difference that a church can make in the families that make it up and the community where they land. In that setting, toeses aren't jealous of noses. It's just not. Because nobody's pretending to be something they're not in order to get something they don't deserve. It's amazing how death can creep into a church when people start fighting over who's in charge. You ever seen that? I figured out a long time ago, churches don't split over doctrine, theology. They split over who's in control. Well, it's the Holy Spirit. You don't split, you get life. When one is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ and everybody's fitting into their respective role and place and doing what God's called and gifted them to do, it's amazing what that church can accomplish simply because the Holy Spirit is empowering them and there is authenticity in the relationships that they form. The Spirit-filled life then is joyful, filled with the attributes of Christ himself, but it's, it's also authentic. The third character trait that he talks about then, he kind of moves that same submission idea to the family. So a spirit-filled uh, life is a family-focused life. Verse 21, Paul's talking about submission in the context of, of the church, one another in the church. And then in verse 22 and following, he starts talking about this idea of submitting to one another as it relates to, to families. And he talks about all of us. He talks about wives. He talks about husbands. He talks about children. He talks about parents. So let's unpack that just real quick. Let's unpack that. Verse 22. 
For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. And I know that's not a popular sermon uh, these days. But the, one of the reasons is there's been a whole lot of confusion about what Paul is actually saying there. I need you to understand something. At no point is Paul suggesting anywhere in any of his writings that somehow women are supposed to be subservient doormats. Let me just be as direct about it as I know how. Kim and I have been married 45 years, coming up in February. I would not be where I am doing what I'm doing, nor have accomplished what I've accomplished if I didn't have a strong woman partnering with me, shoulder to shoulder, going down the road together. Thank God for a strong, godly woman who sometimes support me and sometimes holds me accountable. There's no way that's what Paul is talking about. We're not talking about gender bashing here. We're not talking about ability here. You heard the, the story of the guy who was driving along and came up on an accident that had just happened and the victim had been thrown from the car and, and he saw a lady kind of leaning over the victim and he came walking up and he said, move back little lady, I've had first aid training. And so she steps back and he comes over the victim and he's looking at him for a minute and, and she says softly, when you get to the part of your first aid training, where it says, call a doctor, I'll be right here. <laughs> We're not talking about ability. We're certainly not talking about gender bashing. We're talking about, what, what was that word, submit? Hupo tasso, to set things in order. What we're talking about is a creature with two heads is a monster in anybody's movie. There's no way God would have established the most important institution on the planet, the family, and not put a leader in place. No way. It also tells me that leadership is more about responsibility than it is authority. Leadership is not about being on top, calling the shots. It's about being out front, taking the hits. What it tells me, guys, is that the greater submission at the end of the day is ours. Some guys have abused this passage to say, well, it means I, I, I get to tell my wife what to do. <laughs> Good luck with that, dudes. See how that works out for you. Never works out because that's not what the scriptures say. In fact, look at verse 25. For husbands... This means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. You want to talk about submission. Kim's job is to recognize my responsibility as leader in the home. My job is to die for her. And I can tell you now that I've yet to see a godly, spirit-filled wife who didn't rest in the arms of a husband who loves her that unselfishly day after day. Did a wedding some time ago, and the young couple had just recently come to Christ, and, and they knew most of their family, most of their friends didn't know Jesus. And, and so they said, Pastor Jim, in the wedding, could you talk about Ephesians 5 a little bit and let, let our friends and family know this is the decision we made. We want Jesus to be Lord uh, of our family. We want the Holy Spirit to fill our marriage. And so we, we're going to do an Ephesians 5 kind of marriage arrangement. Would you help them to understand what that means? And so I said, okay, if that's what you want, I will. And so I did. And I did a little teaching on some of the same stuff I'm talking to you about today. And, uh, and afterwards, we're at the reception, and this lady came walking up to me, lady probably in her 50s or so, and husband walking three or four steps behind her. And she walked up to me, 
kind of squared her shoulders and she said, I'm guessing that's not a very popular sermon these days. And I said, what sermon is that? She said, that whole thing about wives submitting to their husbands. And I said, you know what? I, I've, just, I've never met a godly woman who, when her husband loves her so much, he'd die for her. And I'm not talking about jump in front of a, the proverbial bus to save her life. I'm talking about every day. The game's on, but you get up and go help because your wife needs your help right now. That, that, that kind of unselfishness. I've yet to see a godly woman who didn't rest and that the husband who says, what can I do today to support you, to make you feel more secure? I've yet to see one who didn't. And a tear came out of her eye down her cheek. Kid you not, she stood there silently where tears started to flow. And I said to her husband standing three steps back, dude, your wife needs you. More than, I didn't say it, but more than you obviously realize. We're not talking about subservience. We're not talking about who's better, smarter. That's, that's the world's understanding of this. This is just setting the family in order and the responsibilities that are associated with it. Then he begins to move on and talk about the parent-child relationship. And yes, kids, he starts with you. Chapter 6, verse 1, 2, and 3, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Can I just be real clear with you children that are in the room or watching online right now? The best way you can tell your parents you love them and respect them is to obey them. And don't wait for the third count when they finally get frustrated with you to move. Just obey. Just do what they said we're coming to them in a minute. Your job is to obey. That's what the scriptures say, because you belong to the Lord. And as you submit to the parents that God has given you, you are submitting to the Lord in the same process. Then he moves to parents and he says, okay, parents, I just told your kids to obey you. Make sure that you do your job right. Verse four. And now a word to you parents, don't keep on scolding and nagging your children, making them angry and resentful. Rather bring them up in the loving discipline, the Lord himself approves. Proves. I don't have time to do a whole message on parenting today. I will in time, but understand, guys, your job is to set the family in order, and that can be incredibly challenging in the day that we live. I understand it can be incredibly challenging. In fact, I would go so far as to say none of us have what it takes to do that except by the power of the Holy Spirit. So discipline in an orderly fashion is what your children need. And children, you need to obey when they respond. But it's not about trying harder, it's about trusting more. So being filled with the Holy Spirit brings joy, fruit of the Spirit in your life. It creates healthy order to your relationships in church and in the home. And then he goes outside the church and home and starts talking about careers and what's going to happen. A spirit-filled life then is honorable in any relationships that you have. He talks specifically about the workplace, but he's just making sure that all of our relationships are covered. I don't have time to unpack this in detail, but he starts with employees. And he says, oh, employees, respect your boss. Respect your boss's position in your life. Respect uh, your boss's role in your life. And when you go to work, work with all your heart as though you're working before the Lord. That's he added that in Colossians. You work heartily as unto the, to the Lord. That's what, that's what your job. And then he says to employers, bosses, supervisors, 
Guys, your job is to treat your employees with respect. Don't abuse them. Don't take advantage of your authority. Don't hit them over the head and say, you, you better do your job or I'm going to fire you. That's not, that's not spirit-filled leadership. It's, it's treat them with respect. God doesn't make a distinction, he says, between you and your employees, and you shouldn't either, other than to say, I have this job and you have that. Job, hear me, when the Holy Spirit's in charge, setting the agendas, empowering people, the character traits of joy and authenticity and family focus and honoring one another in the workplace becomes the order of the day, which ultimately brings us to the fifth character trait, and that is a spirit-filled life withstands attack. A spirit-filled life withstands attack. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 and 12. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of this unseen world. We're not fighting against who? It is so incredibly tempting with the craziness that is going on in our world these days to start identifying who by names of human beings. It's so incredibly difficult not to fall into the trap of believing somehow that our lives are going to be defined by, by who gets in the White House or who wins this election or, or who rises up. But I, let me tell you guys, Christianity has exploded on the planet in the most horrible conditions you can imagine. America has its problems. There ain't no doubt about it. But I've watched Christianity explode where they had to hide in houses or go to jail because of their faith. I've watched Christianity explode in Muslim countries where they're not allowed to say publicly they're followers of Jesus Christ. I preached in the Tabernacle of Glory one Sunday morning, and, and they said, when you get in the taxi, give them this address, but don't tell them it's a church. Can't, no, don't, don't say anything about church. Just say you're going to this address, and they'll take you to an address. And it was a big uh, automobile repair warehouse. And I got there, and there's junk cars all over the place, and there's grease all over the place. And, and I'm thinking, have they taken me to the right place? I'm in Kuala Lumpur, halfway around the planet all by myself. If I wasn't the world, Lord, what kind of mess have you gotten me into? And then I walked to the front door and opened it up. There's actually a sign on the outside that says, for non-Muslims only. And I said, okay, well, maybe this is it. And I opened the door, and there were 2,000 Christians worshiping God, but having to hide to do it. You see, Christianity flourishes not when the right people are, are in office or the right circumstances are around us. Christianity flourishes when a group of people say, I choose not to be controlled by the spirits of this world. I choose to be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God, which leads to joy and songs in my heart and the attributes of Christ and healthy families and healthy parent-child relationship and healthy work relationships and the power to withstand the real enemy the battle we're in, guys, is the battle for souls, the souls of men and women. And that's ultimately what we're trying to say in our artwork today is you've got people, you've got families, you've got individuals that are coming together. And when the power of God and the spirit of God begins to break into those families, health begins to reign. Let me close. Let me go back. I said we'd go back to that Galatians 3 piece and that football idea that this happens when you're filled with the Spirit, not when you try harder. I need you to understand something, okay? All of these attributes that I've just described are available to you when you choose to be filled with the Spirit. But invar invariably, somebody would say to me, Pastor Jim, I, I've, I've prayed to be filled with the Spirit. 
The Bible says ask, and, and he would answer, well, I've done that. I've prayed that prayer. I prayed that prayer 30 years ago. I prayed that prayer 10 years ago. I, I, I've been filled with the Spirit. In fact, whatever your background is, you may have used different terminology for it. Baptized in the Holy Ghost is what they used to say when Kim and I first started out many years ago. And no matter what term you use, you know, I, you know, I've done that. And yeah, I've seen some evidences and some fruit in my life from it. But I've got to be honest, there's some of these things I'm still struggling with. So, so if I've been filled, then why am I still struggling? The reason is that what I'm describing to you is not a one-time deal. Okay, you accept Christ. It's kind of like a marriage. You stand at the altar and say, I do. You're married. <laughs> you got the implications of that marriage to work out for the rest of your life, but you're married. You're as married in that moment as you're ever going to be. You come to Christ and say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I want you to forgive me and give me a fresh start. You're saved. You have just gotten entry into the kingdom of God as one of his children. The rest of your life is working out the implications of that relationship. And so that whole word pleuroo that we described earlier in Ephesians 5.18, be pleuroo with the Holy Spirit, be filled with the Holy Spirit is actually in, in the Greek tense, I'm not an expert in this, but people I trust that are tell me, there's a Greek tense to that, that in Greek is called the imperative present passive tense. Imperative present passive tense. Imperative meaning it's a command. It's not an option. You got a choice, controlled by the spirits of this world, empowered by the Holy Spirit. The default is controlled by the spirits of this world. If you want those, that joy, if you want those healthy church relationships, healthy family relationships, healthy work relationships, the power to do battle for the souls of men, if you want that, then you have to choose to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's an imperative. It's a command. And hear me, God will never command you to do something you can't do. Then it's present, which means that it's an ongoing command. This is not a one-time deal, guys. This is every time Kim and I are about to get into a conversation that I think we may have a hard time communicating and understanding each other. I'm going into that conversation saying, Holy Spirit, I need you to fill me up so I say the right things. I don't say the wrong things. That I'm listening with intent and I'm hearing. Get into conversation. My kids are grown, but we're involved in our grandkids. They're here. Three of them are here right now. We're very involved in our grandkids' lives. And, and so we, I get into a conversation with them. And I'm praying, Holy Spirit, I need you to fill me up. Help me to understand. Help me to listen. Help me to know how to parent. Loving discipline kind of way. Going into the workplace and you're frustrated with your job right now because things aren't going the way you want or you're nervous. Lord, I, I need you to fill me up and I go into this workplace. I need to be empowered to deal with this. It's an ongoing moment by moment, decision by decision, relationship by relationship kind of thing. But then ultimately what I've been trying to say all morning is it's passive. It's imperative. It's present, but it's passive. We don't fill ourselves. There's no grit your teeth until you're filled. He said to the Galatians, have you lost your mind? You couldn't start this relationship with God in your own power and you can't live it out in your own power. But I will fill you. Before you know it, you're throwing the football 60, 70, 80 yards. You're going further doing more than you ever dreamed you could. 
Next week, we're going to talk about spiritual gifts and how they operate. And then ultimately, the last Sunday in this series, we're going to talk about how to be filled with the Spirit, why and how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But for now, I hope you're listening. I hope you're leaning in. I hope you're learning what the Bible actually says happens to your life when you choose. Remember the first message if you were here? Simple steps. I asked Jesus Christ to come into my life. The Holy Spirit takes up residence. I asked Jesus to be in charge of my life. Holy Spirit, I ask you to fill my life. That's the journey. Would you pray that prayer with me now? Father, thank you. Thank you for not just putting us here and going away because you've got other things to do, but you are fully, intimately engaged in our lives. And you not only want to, but you are leaning into, reminding us constantly. Okay, that's going to be a tough conversation. You need to pray the Holy Spirit will fill you up before you have it. Okay, that's a difficult decision. You need to pray Holy Spirit will empower you to make the right choice. Okay, that's a, that, that's a tough setting you're going into. You need the power to be able to stand up to some of the things that's going to be thrown at you. You need to pray, Holy Spirit, fill me up, empower me. I don't want to be controlled by the spirits of this world when I'm attacked. I want to be reminded of who the real enemy is, and I want your power to win this battle. Moment by moment, day by day, decision by decision. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. Keep your heads bowed for just a minute. I'm going to give you a chance to pray that prayer with me, whether you're at home or wherever you are online or right here in this room. Would you pray a simple prayer with me? It goes along the simple steps that I just described. Maybe you've prayed prayers like this before. Maybe you never have. But I mentioned, I think that it's a, it's a present thing. It's a constant thing. So just pray quietly, silently, aloud. Scream it. I don't care. Jesus, would you come into my life? Give me a fresh start today. Would you be in charge this time? Be the Lord of my life. And Holy Spirit, would you empower me to make the kind of decisions that life is throwing at me constantly? And as I live my life, in relationship with Christ, under the leadership of Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, I can hardly wait to see the joy begin to fill me up. The attributes of Christ begin to flow over. Can't wait till somebody says, you know, something's going on with you. I don't know what that is. It's, you've changed. What, what's going on? And you know, it's just the Holy Spirit pumping you up with the breath of the Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that that's available to me. I want it. I want you. I want relationship with you. And thank you for loving me that much. In Jesus' name, Father, you know who's praying. You know what's going on in their, in their lives, in their marriages, in their families, in their workplace, in the church. You know what's going on in their lives. Show yourself powerful in them and through them. 
in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.